welcome to Knock On Podcast, where we bring you archery information and education that you can trust. Knock On was created as a way to bring all archers together, regardless of the brand you choose or the style of archery you shoot. Knock On Podcasting will deliver professional insights to the latest gear, proper shooting technique, along with high-level equipment setup and tuning. Hey, 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 everybody. Uh, Hope you had an awesome Christmas. I know we did. Had a sweet Christmas. Enjoyed a few days off and definitely look forward to get back to the grind here. We've got a pretty cool week coming up with the whole Knock On Nation. We've got uh, a really cool live feed scheduled for Wednesday. Uh, Today's actually Tuesday, the 27th of December if you're listening on a later date. So, uh, But yeah, the Wednesday, the 28th at uh, 7 p.m. Central Time, we are going to do a live bow build, and uh, really a bow breakdown. I've got some limbs I need to change out uh, for a particular bow. I've got another one I need to break down, so I kind of thought it'd be a cool time to maybe walk a lot of you through the steps of adjusting your bow press. I know a lot of you got uh, got one of the X-Presses, that we had on a killer sale and i'm going to start walking people through just learning how to use those a little bit better there's been a few uh questions come through on the use and uh proper adjustments so we can talk about that and then we're going to actually uh take a whole bow apart break it all the way down into pieces and then put it back together and i'm going to cover a few little things that i think are important uh maintenance type things that you know, once people start to learn to break down their bows, just general maintenance, it's going to really help you, um, I guess, elongate the life of your bow and making sure that it stays quiet and squeak free, all that good stuff. So, uh, should be a really cool live feed. It's going to be on the Knock On TV Facebook page, is where you've pretty much got to tune in for the live feeds. Um, then I'll try to get it posted on the YouTube, the Knock on Archer YouTube channel after that. But, uh, yeah, there's been a lot of really cool stuff happening. I've been training some, um, just really preparing for trying to get my mind around a lot of the indoor questions that I get, indoor target archery questions. Uh, this is the time of year, too, where I really like to focus on um well a couple things really i think i think it's important for everybody to go through cycles where they're doing they're really focused on one particular aspect of their life and then you know once you either start to burn out or maybe you've slacked in another you kind of make a change and and go a different direction for a little while so you've got good focus all the time and i'm that way when it comes to target archery hunting um and really just my my fitness my lifestyle of fitness um those always kind of have a little cycle that i go about uh with them this time of year i'm really focused on my physical training and just getting in a lot of repetitions shooting indoors um you know several hundred arrows a day Uh, Just really focused on trying to get in a rhythm, trying to get into um, almost just 
just get in a cycle where you're just being super repetitive and efficient, just making shots, really learning timing of your shot, and just really trying to make each shot feel like the other one. And, you know, just trying to to create this, I don't know, almost like a rhythm when you're shooting, just like just like a clock going back and forth. I just really like to have my indoor target face up, you know, go through the process of looking at the target, loading my arrow, going through my shot sequence, either letting off the safety or bringing my thumb to the trigger, depending on which release I'm using, and just, you know, really focusing on trying to keep that, the amount of time it takes me um, between, you know, pointing my bow and then going through the pulling motion until that shot executes. Uh, Just really trying to make that almost identical in time each and every shot. I think becoming really fluid like that just shows that your shot is is really smooth. It's in sequence. And if you can get to where you're making shots like that and each and every shot is equal in effort, equal in timing, um, like I said, the cadence or the rhythm of the shot is good, then that's a great time to just ingrain... um, well, it should be a positive habit. You know, that's when you really need to ingrain that whole physical um, attribute of the shot itself. You know, I I leave indoor season and head into outdoor season, and it just feels so much better going out to outdoor targets at longer yardages when really all you're having to focus on at that time is making sure that you've got a good sight mark and you know really spend some time tuning making sure your the tune of your arrow matches the build of your bow and it just seems like your long distance shooting comes together so quick when you're able to get outside again you know for those of you who live down in florida or you know the west coast you're in nice weather all the time but Uh, For any of you here in the Midwest, you know it's been ridiculously cold outside. And if there's ever a time of year you're going to appreciate having a carbon carbon bow handle, it would be right now. Um, When people ask if it's it's worth the extra money to buy carbon uh, during these last three weeks, it's certainly worth it because, geez, it's been cold. But I I like to focus on... A lot of reps in the bow range and I also like to focus on a lot of reps um, in the weight room this time of year and I really focus heavily on on weights and lifting maybe adding some some muscle um, that sort of thing during the winter time and then I really focus on kind of changing from being so much of a target archer uh, once late spring then especially summer comes around then my focus really starts to change to shooting some 3ds really starting to shoot my hunting bow Um, i start to cover a lot more miles instead of i'm doing a lot more reps when it comes to cardio by summertime Um, i really like to last year i rode my bike a lot and Honestly, that's one thing I haven't talked about. I really feel like for the first time ever, 
I can say that I was completely in shape for elk hunting. Um, we had some some really steep terrain that we covered in certain aspects of the hunts that, that I did. And I should say we did. I had a camera guy with me. And I just know that when it comes to just driving your legs and going up a hill, um, which is normally what just wears, wears me right out, the fact that I had ridden my bike so much, my my quads and my hams were really developed this year, better than they've ever been. And when it comes to just picking your feet up and driving down and climbing a steep hill, I feel like the bike just prepared me for that way more than all my years of running and going out and you know, doing anywhere from three miles to five miles, ten miles, uh, you know, a day, whatever it is, I feel like I got a lot more beat up. I think, my, you know, I had definitely my shins or my knees felt a lot sore. Um, and then once I actually got on the mountain, uh, I would, I would have stamina, but I don't think I had necessarily the power. Um, so I felt a little bit more fatigued when I was only running, but this past year, just biking, focusing on riding, riding my bike, um, either to where I would shoot or ride my bike to the gym and then riding it back, that made a huge, huge difference. And I'm a just, I really like the fat tire bikes too. Um, they're not bikes intended for covering tons of ground. Uh, but it's a really good workout. It's a lot more resistance uh, on the on the ground itself, so it, it takes more to drive it. And you know, I'm not going near as fast, but I just really feel like the overall power and you know, doing 30 to 40 minutes of that uh, five days a week, I would say, is probably what I averaged. It just made a huge difference. Um, and then once hunting season comes in my cycle kind of changes again. I don't, I don't do a lot of shooting and I don't do, uh, very much working out. Um, I know I talked with my, with my buddy about that. I said, do you, you know, do you have times a year where you take a rest with your workouts? And he just said, no way. Uh, I never do just because I, I feel like I don't want to, you know, I don't want to slip. I don't, th- he's pretty much said, I, you can't, you can't do it that way. You have to stay on it. But I don't know. I I know for me, I really, like right now, I'm really focused in the gym. I enjoy going in there and really, you know, getting back, getting back to where I was peaked last year and then trying to make some improvements on that. Um, I feel like my body recuperates a lot better. Maybe it's my age now. Um, but I feel like, you know, staying, and granted during my hunting season, you know, I say that I'm not working out. You gotta, you gotta remember there was, you know, in Alberta. I think, I think in Alberta on that trip, I did um, just under 100 miles in those nine days. Then I think once it came to antelope season, a lot of a lot of mileage going to and from antelope blinds, um, walking in, walking out. Then you're always dragging stuff I actually did two separate elk hunts um at first I was going to think about just shooting a a cow and then um decided I wanted to go to western Montana I went out with a a really cool new place that looking forward to showing you the video on that 
hopefully pretty soon once the new website's going. But um, and then really when I once I come here to Iowa, it's almost like a different type of. I'm not doing a lot of running. I'm not doing a lot of lifting. But I actually lean down the most during the whitetail season because I think because I'm in the stand so long that I just um, you know I'm normally fairly cold I don't eat that much Um, pretty much live out of a backpack really I mean I'll if I go out with the family or something like that we'll have some some nice meals obviously at home you guys have seen what I cook but um, I don't I think just because I'm hunting so much, I'm not snacking, I'm not, you know, probably feeding on crap that I shouldn't be eating on. I'm more, more basic with vitamins, pack some water bottles, you know, have a couple, uh, a couple trail bars or, you know, I eat Omega bars or those Tonka, uh, big beef jerkies. I kind of stay on stuff like that. So normally by the time uh November rolls around I'm really at my leanest but you know I'm also at probably my least muscular of the year and then as soon as gun season starts here the first week of December that's always when I'm building my target bow and just focused on target shooting and really getting behind the weights um and then one thing that I'll tell you is I don't really I don't really lift hard um at the same time of the day, same time of the day is what I do when I'm shooting a lot. So, for example, um, this morning I'll work out, and I'm not going to shoot immediately following. I'll I'll save my shooting for later tonight um, after seven. I'm going to hunt tonight, so uh, it'll be after that, and then I'll probably do some shooting immediately following uh tomorrow's live podcast simply because i'll be lifting in the morning now there are times um, where i've got some evening classes that i like um there was like an evening yoga class that i really like i'm really enjoying yoga right now uh mainly because i think just with your age you start to you start to feel stiffness and um just reduced mobility in certain certain types of things and when people ask about how do I warm up uh, before I practice and stuff you know typically I don't really go into practice totally cold I'll go into practice after I've kind of been alert and been awake and moving around for most of the day and one of the ways I've found to best get warmed up to really have a good practice session is if you do some type of a light yoga um i'll normally do five minutes in my hot tub or 10 minutes in my hot tub and then i'll do you know some some yoga stretches and i just feel totally different when i pull my bow back i don't feel like i'm working out a bunch of kinks and i don't feel like a squeaky door handle when my shoulders are moving back um, I really like it. Um, and then also the fact that I think it's a really good balance because if you're lifting heavy and you're lifting, you know, I normally, I'll lift heavy two days a week, maybe three. Then the other days I really focus on slow movements with high reps, but just really slow focus movements with high reps. And then 
I'll try to work um, at least two to three days of yoga throughout that whole thing. And it works out awesome. I mean, I feel so much better that way. And honestly, I don't get burned out. That's, you know, a lot of people want to know what my exact routine is. Um, If my routine was the same all the time, with my personality, I'd get bored and I'd get burnt out. I like to, there's some times where I'll just do you know kettlebells for a full week and i'll just try a bunch of different movements and then i'll go and hit the gym really hard Um, there's also times where i'll go and just focus on um, if i'm starting to feel stiff and like my mobility is you know maybe i've lifted heavy for a few too few too many weeks or something um, i'll go and do some swimming a buddy of mine's wife has to have foot surgery and so we were talking um, she's really into her fitness we were talking about that and I said you really need to try swimming because you know I'll tell you Harry he is in phenomenal shape after swimming season and one of the toughest things to do is not to go in there and necessarily do um, try to make a swimming workout Uh, if you're not a swimmer one thing you can do is just set a time of say 10 minutes and just swim at any pace without stopping for 10 minutes and then try to just keep upping that time. Um, I got to the point where I was doing 30 minutes in the pool without touching. And, you know, it's not like I'm sitting there swimming at a, at a lap pace. You know, I'm not trying to do full blown laps. There was times where I started to get real tired. And the main thing is actually a swim coach told me this, you know, get on your back, you know, float around slow on your back. But just the main thing is you keep moving and you're not stopping. And uh, it was amazing for developing stamina and endurance, uh, which I think is important for archers, especially field archers. Um, But yeah, that's pretty much the breakdown. Um, Trying to think if there's anything on the news front I need to tell you guys about. Um, probably forgetting some stuff. I know there's a ton of questions about Noctuits, Silverbacks. Um, those are all kind of in the process. Um, I can't really, I don't want to say the date in case it's wrong. All I can tell you is uh, this Saturday, if you're on the waiting list for the Noctuits, I would be hovering around the computer. Yeah, and that's. That's New Year's New Year's Eve, I guess, this Saturday. I'd be if you're waiting for Noctuits, you might wanna keep your keep your phone in your pocket and if you get the email, better act quick because I'm expecting even though this batch is three times bigger than we've ever ordered before, um, according to the notify me, there's already more people waiting than what we have coming again, which sucks. Really sucks, but we're making them as fast as they possibly can that's for sure uh the other thing too is i do want to announce um on new year's eve i'm not sure the time yet but i am going to do a live feed um we'll do one for a little while it's going to be pretty cool if you're if you're at all a follower um this is going to be kind of a special night i'm not going to say what i'm going to do but it's definitely going to be about you guys out there listeners so 
you'll want to you'll want to tune in for that. I don't know the exact time yet, but it will be New Year's Eve. I may not do it so late in the evening, just in case you guys are out wanting to party. Uh, but yeah, that's what we got coming up. So I'm gonna jump into some of your questions here. Talked about my workout crap enough, and we're gonna jump into some of the questions that I've kind of pulled from all of you out there and. The first one here is actually from Dean Degner. Um, I think, I'm not sure what feed this was off of, but this was actually in the, um, it was in the itemized comments. So I think it may have been a comment from one of the live feeds. But anyway, Dean was asking, is the pull on the Evo, the Evolution, so for those of you listeners, the Carter Evolution, is it different than the silverback? Um, so there's been a lot of questions about that. The silverback and um, the evolution. There's a lot of different versions of the evolution too. There's several generations, several hook designs, um, several small changes on the sears or even the springs. Um, so the silverback is pretty much the latest version of that. The the depth of the hook, the shape of the hook. Um, actually the, um, these last silverbacks are going to have a slightly different tweak on them compared to the first run of silverbacks. Um, so yeah, there's continual changes. It's small. The main thing is, um, you know, the releases are really set up to where the knock to it and that silverback are going to have the same feel for you. So if you're shooting one, you can switch to the other. You don't feel like you're going to have to move your peep or, or adjust your anchor or, you know, feel different uh, pressure on your face. Um, all that's going to say the same. Um, and then you go on to say, I shoot the evolution well up to 40 yards, um, but what's your advice for longer shots? with that or the silverback so my advice is if you're making good shots at five yards with that with any of these releases then it you should easily be able to make the same shot regardless of the distance um you know you may not be able to to group as well just because you know shooting at longer distances is like a big magnifying glass you know smaller mistakes will start to make your arrows you know go further and further off the mark especially the further you shoot you know even small things like wind you know if you're out shooting in a five mile an hour wind you're certainly gonna really have to know how to bubble or hold differently in order to shoot in the wind but you really want to focus on the actual feel of the shot being exactly the same don't do anything different if you're shooting good at 20 yards if you're shooting good at 40 yards then you want to thrive for that exact same shot feel regardless of whether you're shooting close or long. You should be able to make the exact same shot. Now, if you're starting to slow your shot down uh, because you're shooting further and you're worried about holding tighter, that kind of goes against the grain of what you're really trying to develop by shooting that release. You need to be able to to still hold fairly steady but you also need to make sure that you're not aiming and if you're shooting at longer distances and your shots with the silverback 
are taking longer, much longer than your close shots, then that means you're starting to aim and you're starting to focus left on the pull or focus less on the pull. And that's really what this release is designed to help with is for you to sit there, shoot at 20 yards, have a certain timing, certain cadence. This is falls right back into what I was talking about earlier. And then as soon as you go outdoors, I want to be able to have that same exact cadence, that same exact flow and timing, even though I'm shooting at a much further distance. And I feel by, you know, ingraining that cadence and ingraining that rhythm and flow at close targets, it helps you go right outdoors and do the same thing. What you'll notice if you're an archer that shoots longer distance, if there's times where all of a sudden you're struggling, I bet you anything, it's the times where you're starting to take just one or two seconds more for the shot to go off. It doesn't take much, half a second, one second, second half. Anything like that, you start to slow down just a little bit, then it's proof that you're aiming more so than than pulling through the shot. So, you know, you're changing your preload, um, you know, you're changing how much pressure you've got on that back wall. Um, and depending on the bow, I can tell you that some bows, some cam systems, if you're pulling hard on the wall, or then if you're not pulling hard on the wall, it will change how that bow actually groups and how it performs. Some bows shoot much better for people <coughs> with the silverback simply because some bow styles like a very dynamic pull. Some bows just don't perform well shooting in the valley or shooting with minimum uh, back wall weight. Um, so all these things work into into factor of how do you make the same shot up close as you do up far or at far you've got to just work on the timing work on the cadence start counting in your head you know i like i said i've i've told people many times 12 to 14 seconds is really my ideal shot start to finish once i let off my safety or once i put my finger on the trigger you know it's really maybe three to four seconds of a slow continual you know really really fine-tuned pull i'm just pulling slow and smooth but continual you know i'm not trying to pull it fast and hope that it goes or anything like that that obviously is going to make the front the front half wobble all over the place so you have to be mindful there um just go out there and don't worry about how far the the shot actually is the other thing too um i need to maybe give people a tip about is you know some people try to put too small of a bullseye at the farther distances um i really like to shoot you know i like to have my big elk target or i like to have the full size feet of face because i don't it does get really hard and it does really change your mental picture when you're trying to aim at such a small target to where it's being covered completely I think you'll find that you aim a little better when you have kind of more of the more of the kill zone or more of the target around that pin. 
So don't be afraid to get a big target. You know, you'll what you'll find is if you're aiming in the center of that, you're gonna you're definitely gonna still hit center. But if you get too small of a target and your pin totally covers it up, you'll find that your pin dances around a lot more because your brain is really wanting to see that that little dot is still behind your pin. So I think your subconscious is is moving that off there continually, and you'll you'll really fight that. Uh, next question here is from Mike Coates. Uh, appreciate everything, Mike. Uh, I know you've been around a long, long time, man. Appreciate everything, all the support and stuff that you've given. Um, but he says, when I coach my kids at Joad, we use everything you teach, always giving credit uh, to such a good dude. I appreciate that again. Do you feel the importance of the subconscious is important for training? Some of the more advanced kids, I talk about the subconscious pro, um, subconscious practice, mentally running through the shot, and that the release um, and that release aspect as well. So, the subconscious is critical to any type of performance. Really, doesn't matter if it's archery or what it is. The subconscious is such an important um it's such an important part of life you know if we if we couldn't rely on that subconscious to do stuff i wouldn't even be breathing right now while i'm focusing on answering this question you know my subconscious is taking control of that so these repetitions um that that i've been talking about and the reason i talked about how i cycle myself throughout the year um they're all steps in preparing and really tuning yourself and ingraining yourself to have um, a very consistent and um, dependable method that you can fall back on or that your mind falls back on with, without really having to think about it. Um, the subconscious, I think, really develops f- from continual repetition. You know, building a habit or ingrainment, that's really an important factor in um, in the subconscious. You have to just sit there and do it so many times that it starts to become second nature. But there's a fine line there, too. If you think that every part of your shot process is subconscious, then you can easily get yourself in trouble and get to a point where, you know, you're you end up making small little mistakes. You're almost having little brain farts because, you know, you're relying too much on the subconscious. And that's why I really like to occupy the conscious mind with systematic steps. So it's focusing on a process, but when it focuses on each individual step of that process, the subconscious is able to, to... you know, no, okay, we're talking about, you know, he's wanting to focus on the grip. Okay, well, I know how to do that. This is where it needs to be. This is where it, fe- you know, it looks good, feels good. It, you know, your subconscious can check some of that stuff off and make some of that, make sure some of that stuff's right. Your subconscious, if you train it to be comfortable with your pin moving around on the target, then your subconscious is just going to do its best to continually center your pin to the target and you know center allow your pin to be center and also be moving around in the target without feeling anticipation um but if you're 
if you're not practicing enough to to eliminate that anticipation, then it almost gets worse because the subconscious is kind of torn at that point. It doesn't really have faith that it's doing the right thing. Um, obviously, then you start to you start to think about these little thoughts that are popping up in your head. These little demons that start to pop up, and one thing ends up compounding into a, a, a worse thing. Um, there's been a lot of people talking about target panic and their ability to keep their pins on the target since I did that target panic feed. And, you know, people, and I think that's a question that I have here um, for late, you know, someone wrote a, que- a question in that I've got that I'm going to answer here a little bit later. And they were talking about that same thing, that they're just not able to get over panic because they're not comfortable, you know, keeping their pin in the target. You know, again, this isn't something I gave that live feed two weeks ago. The subconscious development is something that takes or is going to take more than two weeks time. Let's be real with with the problem. And you have to really start to become honest, truly honest with yourself. Um, This was something that just the other day I was talking with Harry and we were um you know, although he normally eats really good during this time of year when he's swimming so much, you know, he feels really run down and it's just because he's not, he doesn't have enough fuel going in and it's because their swimming is so intense, you know, he almost needs to be eating all the time. So I don't blame him. It's way too, you know, it's almost like it's too much to keep up because he's not a real aggressive eater anyway, nor am I. So it would, it would be really tough for me to stay eating enough too if I was burning that amount of calories. But what I told him is, I said, you know, you, you should really write down what you're eating. You know, write it down for a day because I think, I think it's easy to lose track of the small little snacks and treats that you put in your body that kind of satisfy your hunger but aren't satisfy. They're not satisfying your nutritional demand. So. You know, if 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 he sneaks in and you know has a bar of chocolate, or if he's you know if if he orders pasta if we're out somewhere, or you know a lot of a lot of the way he had been ordering lately, um, he's just kind of fallen into a very high carb diet. Which I know carbs are good, but there's also other aspects that I didn't think he was really getting as much. So I told him, I'm like. I know you want to eat right. You know, I know that he that he does, and I know that he likes to balance out his his good foods with his, you know, his snack foods. So I said, write it down for a day, and you're going to see that your actual quality of eating isn't going to be as high as you think it is. The same is true when it comes to trying to get over target panic. If you're going to call and say that it's just not working out and it's not you know, I'm not, I can't do it. It's not happening. Well, it's only been two weeks and really how much have you actually shot? You know, this is something that you have to sit there. And when I told you during that live feed to start out by really starting to shoot blank bail, at this point, you should still be shooting blank bail. If you've really got it to the point where you can't, you know that you can't put your pin on the target, that blank bail shooting and that process of just going through the shot motion and the execution, that's something that is going to help you 
more than anything to just sit there and keep doing it every night. I know that it might seem tedious, but in the end, you know, you have to just get to the point where you're really focusing on that cadence, that timing, and it's a building block. You start out on a blank bale, you work on that shot, you know, developing that shot, then put a really big target on the on the um on that target face and or on the target butt and focus on staying close and just looking at that big gold pointing your arrow towards the gold and then just weeks of going through that shot process letting off the safety pull 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 okay it executes load a new arrow um that's the stuff that you you have to just sit there and ingrain and the subconscious is only going to develop if you give it enough time it's not something that you can just tell yourself okay i know what a good shot feels like now there's a difference between knowing what a good shot feels like if i go out and someone describes me what a perfect golf shot would feel like and then i think about it and i'm really convinced in my mind okay i know what it feels like and then if i walk up to the tee box and i do that exact thing that i'm thinking in my mind and everything's perfect I strike the ball and it flies just perfectly straight out there and lands in the middle of the fairway and rolls out there. I mean, even though I know what that is, that certainly doesn't mean that I can do it the next shot the same way. And that's what we strive for when we're practicing and we're trying to get reps is we're trying to recreate that exact same feeling so many times that it becomes second nature and the subconscious can do it so i think the subconscious is something that um you certainly have to do more than talk about um and it's absolutely critical to separating the ones who are good and the ones that are great and the ones that are awesome you know all those are different levels of of repetition and you know, one thing that I hear a lot is people say, well, you know, any any pro can can grab any bow and shoot really good with it. And yeah, you're right. You know, most, most pros can grab any bow um, on the market and we can go out and do good. We could probably grab, um, we could probably grab bows that were 10 years old. And even though they won't have as much performance when it comes to just grabbing them and shooting with them, yeah, absolutely, we're gonna we're gonna do it at a, a super high level. There's no question. But the difference is a lot of the pros when they go through their shots, they're they're really just doing another repetition. They're not changing anything. The step of becoming a pro, I think, versus an amateur is when you're able to just sit there and know the feel of your shot so perfectly that you can just do it with second nature. You don't feel like you're having to sit there and perform. You're just doing what you do. A lot of times your best performances come from that exact feeling as well. Um, I'm trying to look here. I know. Well, okay, here's a question I got from Fraser Young. Um, says when pros shoot a surprise shot, it doesn't look as much as a surprise as what I feel I must look like when it works properly. I'm explaining it bad, but basically 
When do you get, when do you get control over the surprise instead of being forced by it? And so he's asking me this question, and it ties into exactly what I'm talking about. He's right. If you watch me shoot, I'm not, when my release goes off, I'm not like a new archer that's experienced a, a surprise shot for the first time. I don't kind of get jolted and be like, oh, oh, whew, okay. You know, that happens when there's when there's anxiety built up prior to that. So, um, you know, in a previous podcast, I had my buddy um, Eric Gudgel on, and him and I and EJ were talking about, you know, the the silverback release and you know an unanticipated shot actually putting your pin on the target letting off the safety pulling through and and eric said i was absolutely scared to death like the first time that i tried that because you don't have you don't feel like you have control and that's the beauty of it there there's such an important part of having comfort in the surprise once you develop the comfort in the surprise then your shooting is going to take a whole new direction in life i mean you're literally this whole new world opens up to where you can point your bow at any target you don't have anticipation you have you can still have excitement but you're not having anticipation you're not having anxiety and you're just able to hold with confidence and you know you're almost more excited to see the shot happen um, than you are worried about whether or not you can you can make it happen. So there is a fine line there, and you're right. Um, ideally, the pros shouldn't look like they have a surprise. Um, if they did, they're probably not going to be at that level because you know you're just not able to miss much when you're at a professional level. Um, some tournaments not at all anymore but you know you have to be willing to you almost should strive for the to the point where your surprise shot isn't a surprise anymore i mean um and that's why i like to refer to it as i strive for an unanticipated shot i don't i don't strive for a surprise because if i'm stri- if i'm striving for a surprise that means that there's anticipation um, built up before that to where I'm probably going to be nervous until the shot goes off. And then I'm, then I'm like, you know, kind of alerted to it. Like, Oh, okay. It went off and few, um, you know, I've got a lot of people I've worked with to where they start out by, you can almost see them say few when the shot goes off and nothing bad happens They're, You know, unfortunately we've kind of talked ourselves into, some of these releases that something bad's going to happen and you're just lucky if you get it to go off without something bad happens and that's just a total wrong way to look at it you have to look at it as um if you're not using those types of releases you have bad happening all the time so that's really the path of the good Um, a lot of people don't don't look at it that way and i think i think some of the anxiety and some of the fear comes because of that initial thought process uh to a pro making it one shot versus the next is just another shot now there's certainly times where you know there's a lot of money on the line or people are watching maybe you really want to win you know those are different aspects of competition but you know 
I can certainly tell you that when a pro is sitting there and they're practicing at home, um, there isn't a surprise if the shot goes off and the pin's in the middle. That's that's the expected. Um, it's a big difference. Drinking some Alpha Brain. You can tell. I should have drank this before I started my podcast. My head was cloudy at the beginning of this podcast. I was still a little bit groggy, but I know I need to get this done early this morning. And now I'm starting to, my brain cells are starting to come alive. They're starting to wake up, stretch out. So um, let's see here, going through some different uh, questions that I had circled. Um, Okay, so Nathan Haley is saying, I'm, I'm using the Carter Evolution at the moment. When I start pulling through my shot, I start shaking and bouncing around on the target. Any ideas why, how to stop it? So there could be a couple things like that. You definitely need to go through, go to YouTube and go to the Knock On, I'm going to type it in now, go to the Knock On Archery YouTube channel. And on that channel, um, you're going to pretty much look for a live feed that I had. Um, I'm trying to think when it was maybe two weeks ago I did a live feed on yeah if you look it's called John Dudley breaks down target panic and gives drills to overcome it and the cover image is me giving a death punch to a target face so uh, watch that. You're gonna you're gonna start to understand some different things. One, if your evolution is is set to where the pulling um, to f- get it to fire is set too high, then it'll certainly make you shake more. The other thing is underdeveloped front scapular strength adds to that unsteadiness very fast. Um, if that front shoulder starts to creep and slide back, or if your front shoulder is improperly positioned to begin with then as you're pulling what will happen is you're feeling like you're pulling and you're really going through it but what happens is you're actually contracting that front scapula it's collapsing I should say collapsing against the back when the when the front scapula slides against the spine the rear scapula doesn't have any place to move so you feel like you're just pulling extremely tough and you feel like you're just trying to break the bow in half but in all actuality if you're looking a lot of people you can look at their arrow sitting on their arrow rest and you can actually see that even though they're pulling and they're they're feel like they're pulling they're starting to shake you can see the arrow actually sliding forward on the arrow rest and they're actually creeping instead of pulling even though you feel like you're pulling the bow in two you're really just creeping the other thing too um, the other video that you need to watch and this came from Nathan Haley I don't know if I said that but um, there's another one Nathan called live coaching session from John Dudley on back tension this is a great one for you to watch Um, it has uh, I've got my boy Harry in it and Harry's got um, a very muscular back right now from swimming so I'm able to really point out some of the differences in your muscle groups and how they are um, really really important for you to look at these it's going to help you out um, a lot in understanding what makes 
that release function properly and what is going to make it more difficult um, if you've got it set too stiff or if there's any form breakdown in your posture then that is going to it's going to show up by you being shaky and and uh, you know having difficult keeping it from bouncing around when you really understand your skeletal expansion your skeletal positioning and then the actual leveraging of pulling through that release and how that works and that's another reason why the silverback I believe is so important um, and in compared to the to the original evolution is because the silverback is going to force you to pull through with the fingers that are actually designed to make that release fire um, a lot of people get in the habit on the three and the four finger releases to contracting their pinky and their ring finger and actually hinging or pivoting the release as they're pulling through. And that's not what you want to do on an evolution style or a silverback style release. You have to compress that spring that's on the inside to the point where it opens if you're rotating a lot of times you're not actually building pressure you're just changing how the pressure is on the hook itself so being able to pull with two-thirds of your pull on the index finger and then that other third on your on your middle finger as you're pulling along your jaw the consistency is just going to be night and day different <coughs> and your timing should really really speed up as well um, Okay, let's see here. Next question. Um, this is coming from my Instagram. I pulled it. Um, Hilk underscore 55. Um, you are saying, well, I'm trying to feel. Let me look see here what, what this original one was about. Because this was a two-part one. And I took a screenshot of it. So I've got I've to gotta see what part one was about okay here we go um so you had quite a few things that you had asked me um but you were saying that you know your draw length's too short um so you felt like you're bringing your head too forward to the string um and then well there's a couple a couple things here one you thought it was too short so you did make some tweaks to your draw length um once you made the tweaks to your draw length, um, you said you had both of your mods and cable stops on the number eight, um, but to pull it back seems harder and it's way jumpier on the back um, at, on the back wall at full draw. And so you're asking about what you could do for that. And then you also said, um, are there any other adjustments I can make to fix a hitch in my hip? Um, you feel like you're leaning backwards when you shoot. Um, so the hip part, that's an easy fix. Um, what you really want to do is focus on making sure your front hip always stays directly over your front foot. As soon as you raise your bow and go to pull back, you should keep a little bit more weight on the front foot than on the back. As soon as you shift weight to the back, you're going to do that. You also need to make sure you're shooting a pulling weight to where during that first few inches of your draw cycle you're not having to lean back or pick your bow up high to the sky either one of those things are going to start to cause that slight little hitch in your hip so you definitely just need to focus on keeping your front hip 
over the front foot. If it pushes forward of the front foot in the initial two to three inches of your draw, then you got to just let down and again, focus on a little bit more weight over the front. Another thing you can, uh, a little bit more weight on the front foot. The other thing you can focus on too is when you're standing up um, and you're in the ready position, you can also tip your front shoulder down slightly when you raise your bow up and then when you draw back you're going to find that you're naturally going to come back just a little bit with your front shoulder and you're going to level yourself but uh, if you keep your front shoulder behind your front foot um, as you very first start your draw then you're most certainly going to push that hip forward and you're going to be hitched so getting back to your question about you had to change your draw length and once you change your draw length to that longer setting, your bow, um, which I'm assuming this isn't a Hoyt because you said you had to put it in the number eight slot, um, but you're saying, how can I make this bow not feel so aggressive or hard to pull and so jumpy on the wall? So um, a lot of compound bows will start to feel different depending on what position you have the cam in. That's why you know I really feel like you know, shooting my Hoyts in a D or an E position is actually my preferred position. But I've also openly said that there's been years where certain cams at my draw length just don't feel that good. Um, whereas the same cam, same bow in a different draw length can feel really good. Um, I've had people that shot turbo cams or, um, well, different speed cams on different bows. I've, I've had people that had a PSE Omen. Um, I pulled theirs back. It felt fine. Then another person at a different draw length, I pulled that back, and it feels like it's just wanting to take the string out of your hand. It's a totally different beast. So that does happen on certain bows and certain cam positions, um, especially on some of the bows that have the... Um, stops on the cams where it comes around and touches the limb because essentially what you're doing to change that draw length is you're just moving the the stop and you're stopping it sooner so if you stop it sooner you're pretty much shortening your valley of the cam and that valley is you know kind of your point of the the bow being stopped at full draw and when that cam wants to roll over and take off again there's that small little space in between that that's what we refer to as the valley and when your valley gets really short your bow feels like you're either pulling it back or it's going forward there's no like let off there's no valley in between it's it's just peaking one way or peaking the other way and you feel like you're sitting right on you know right on the top edge and you know they call it the valley because when you look at that draw curve um, or they plot you know how your bow is how the poundage is peaking on the bow as you draw it in length you know it almost creates like a mountain range and if you feel like you're sitting at the very tip of a super peak mountain where you know if you lean one way you're either going down or you're having to pull back to stay up but there's no low spot in between that's pretty much where you're sitting right now. That's kind of a tough place to be in. Having a bow that's really demanding like that, um, it takes a lot of practice to, to stay on top of a bow like that. And it also um, is not something that you want to have in a 
in a um, pressure type environment. And that's why recurve shooters have to practice so much. It's because recurve shooters don't have let off. They don't have a valley. They're having to pull through the clicker. So the further they pull the bow, the heavier it gets. Whereas with us shooting compounds, you know, our we our bow drops off. So it kind of is easier at full draw than than obviously harder. Um, the things that you can do to prevent that is obviously going to be, um, you know, finding out specifically, calling tech, you know, technical guys. Um, at the company depending on the bow or the model I don't know the exact cam feel of every position every bow and every model so what I can tell you is even with me I'll call and um, I'll ask you know the, the guys in the in the tech department straight up okay which if I shoot this bow at this draw length um, or, you know, in this cam style, or I was thinking of this bow here in this cam style, which one is going to be easier to control? And you're going to, you're going to find out because I'm actually right now on my prevail, I'm getting ready to change my prevail. Um, I'm going to, I think I'm going to go to the 37. And the reason why is because at my draw length right now on the prevail i'm having to shoot my bow in a b to a c slot i can shoot in either of those positions and my bow feels similar to what you're saying i wouldn't say mine's aggressive but mine isn't um well i personally like to have a somewhat lazy back wall i like to be able to have tension there um, I like to have lower let off, but I also like to have lower let off with a valley. So, for example, on my target bows, I like to have a 65% let off just so that I have a little bit more holding weight at full draw. And I like that because you're shooting lower poundage um, on a target bow. So, because I'm shooting that lower poundage, I actually really like the holding weight that I feel when I'm hunting. So I shoot the lower let off cam, um, and by that I mean like a 65% let off cam would be considered nowadays a low let off uh, cam, whereas an 80%, you know, obviously the higher the let off, um, you know, the higher that number is going to be. So 80% is a higher let off than the 65. Um, so I'm trying to change. I'm going to slightly change my model so that I can get my cam to be used in a more efficient slot. So I'm, if I go to the 37 instead of the 40, then I can actually get my same, I can get that same cam to be used in a one inch longer configuration. So I'm gonna be able to get into my E position and I feel like it's gonna feel much better for what I like. The last thing that you can do to help your feel at full draw on the um, on your cam wall or your valley is to change your cable diameter. So cable diameter immediately affects your draw force curve. It affects your let off. It affects your holding weight. Um, it affects a lot of things. So you know if you have a bow that you really really like then you have someone make you a set of strings and cables you put them on there and all of a sudden it feels quite a bit different it certainly could 
if you had the exact same everything and you reserved your cables with a 0.18 uh, end serving and then you pulled it back and saw how it feels and then you remove that 0.18 and put on a 0.025 I mean you're talking you know you're talking such a small variation in actual diameter but the difference of how that bow would feel is going to be considerable um, so if you want to I would recommend if you're gonna if you have access try to go with a smaller diameter cable um, you've got to be careful because you don't want to pick you don't want to go smaller necessarily by dropping a bunch of strand count strands out of your cable um, because even though that will make it smaller in overall diameter um, obviously you don't want to get to the point where your cables are stretching and you're continually having to check your tune you know your cam timing your synchronization so um, I really like to if anything you know drop a few strands um, but then go to a, a very small um, like a halo serving you can get like a ten thousands halo it's very small super strong uh, wears like iron um, if you're just at a point where you've got a bow and you're stuck and it just feels like it's kind of tough to to keep it full draw going to a very micro diameter cable um, can help that valley um, it's not going to help it considerable but it will help so uh, thanks for the question dude uh, hilk underscore 55 hope i helped you out there and all that good stuff so next question here is from the underscore noah white so um noah white saying mr dudley i went and shot the pro defiant today and notice it had some vibration to it does adding a stabilizer help um with that so there's a couple things there and the reason you know i'm transparent obviously i'm a hoyt guy um, so, you know, arguably it would be foolish for me to read a text saying that a bow has vibration if it's a bow that I'm trying to promote. But, um, there's a couple things here and this relates to any bow model, not just Hoyt, but it relates to anything. When you go in and you like test drive a new bow, there's so many things that, that, you know, that you kind of need to pay attention to and this is unfortunate and I'm not saying this is the case where you were I'm just saying that I know that I've seen it I know that it's done all the time and it is what it is there's there's some shops that favor selling a certain brand more than the other and they push you even though one bows better they'll push you to another brand that's in the store and Sometimes, if you pay attention, stores will push one particular brand bow a lot harder during one portion of the year than they do at a different time, and it really just comes down to their inventory. That's what sucks is when people go into a shop and really the bow that they get pushed to is the one that the the shop the shop owner has too many of and he's trying to get rid of. Um, so you know there are things shops can do that obviously make one brand feel better than another one i'm not saying that's the case with this i just know that with this particular bow if you're telling me that it had 
vibration. Um, I'm going to say all the ones I've shot have felt great, but I will tell you um, there's certain things that make a bow not feel great. Um, and that's, you know, when I shot the Hoyt Nitrum, that was a really awesome feeling bow. Love the bow. Mine was, mine was, you know, no vibration. Mine was quiet. Now the next year when I blew my shoulder out and I ended up shooting a left-handed bow, um, with my mouth, I ended up getting a Nitrum again, even though there was a new bow on the market. I shot the Nitrum, which was the previous year's bow, but the way that I had to shoot it with the mouth tab, and I had to shoot, since I was shooting low poundage, I had to have the limbs backed out, and I had to shoot a pretty light arrow um, in order to get some decent speed. And that bow had vibration. It had some twang, and it was completely different. It was the same exact bow, but it had a completely different feel to it because I had the limbs backed out, I was shooting a much lighter arrow, and I also had more weight in the center of the string. It's a long question, so I had to alpha brain again. Um, so you really wanna look at the small details when you go into a shop and you're shooting you really want to compare apples to apples some shops are just trying to make the bow seem fast and although it's speed does sell um, if they make it too fast with too light of an arrow it's going to have vibration if they don't put anything on it and you're just shooting a bare, you know, more or less a bare bow um, with just, you know, a knock or a loop on the string and they're, you know, having it at 70 pounds and giving you a 350 grain arrow, it's going to feel like it's going to have some vibration. The other thing too is some shops take a 70 pound bow and they'll back that thing down to 60 pounds so that people can pull it back and the, the more tension you take off the limbs or the more you back out the limbs the less string tension you're gonna have and the less string tension you have the more oscillation you're gonna feel in the string and the more residual vibration you're gonna feel in the bow as well so I always liked it when shops took all their different brands and they really checked them to see you know, another thing is if you're shooting a bow that's 30 inches of draw versus a bow that's 28 inches of draw, those differences in power stroke can also change how they feel. So um, if you're looking to get a bow and you're going in shops, I would just say pay attention to if you shoot a bow, if the limbs are backed out all the way, that's going to be a problem. If they've just clamped a bunch of heavy brass knocks in the center of the string or if there's a rubber peep tube on the string um, if it doesn't have a stabilizer because even getting back to your question stabilizers absolutely do control vibration residual frequencies in the riser certain ones work way better than others um, i really like to have a stabilizer setup that has like some type of a flexible rubber on the end so that the the small residual vibration can dissipate out the end some people just like to have mass weight on the end. Um, that'll change kind of 
that will change the actual shock value, but it won't necessarily dissipate um, the residual frequency near as fast. So there, you know, it's it's really different. Um, every type of stabilizer is going to give you slightly different feel, but anytime you add anything onto a riser, it does change how that riser is going to vibrate. Um, how the bow is going to sound, how it's going to feel. Um, cheaper accessories are going to, you know, there's, I've had sites where like the site housing rings move around or there's like little knobs on them that don't, that are kind of thumb knobs that you can use for loosening up and moving your elevation or your windage. And those thumb things kind of vibrate there. Any, you know, cheap accessories can make a bow uh, feel like crap really fast. Whereas, you know, high quality accessories are going to give you a totally different feel. Um, so pay attention to that. You really, if you go in and you're trying one brand or one bow versus another, you know, if he's got, say he has, let's say he only sells Hoyt and he's got a pro defiant sitting there and then he's got a carbon defiant and then he's got, you know, say he had a hyper edge. Well, if he's got a spring steel rest um, or a launcher blade style rest on the, on the hyper edge. And then he's got a limb driven style rest on the other one. Then he's got a whisker biscuit style on the other one. They're all going to feel different just because of how those rests perform and how they vibrate. Um, same thing with arrows. You know, if you had a, if the guy had a bow set up for indoor archery and he's got 2315s, um, that he's shooting with 200 grain points, you know, that bow is going to feel totally different than if you're shooting a full metal jacket um, out of a hunting bow or if you're shooting like, you know, a really light ACE or, you know, some type of a, you know, small uh, all carbon speed arrow. So, you know, there's a big difference. Uh, make sure you're always comparing apples to apples. Stabilizers do work. They do help. But you also just need to pay attention to what I told you, and uh, it'll help you a lot. Uh, next question here is from Lee Caldwell, 83, um, saying, uh, I know you give a lot of coaching advice. I heard you say to put side plates on your bow. Should I take off the factory grip and replace it with side plates? What is the advantage, and also what brand? So not everyone needs side plates. Um, I've had bows where I've enjoyed side plates on them, and I've also had bows where I did not. Um, certain bows, you can, well, any bow, you can change how the bow is tuning by changing your left and right positioning of your hand on the riser. So, you know, there was times where um, I had a bow that would always just give me this left tear, couldn't get rid of it. Um, so what I did was I actually shot a side plate just on the left side of the riser. So I moved, I almost moved my pressure point on the riser out further. It changed how that riser twisted in your hand, changed the overall torque of the riser and just immediately allowed me to tune, um, my arrow right down the center. So you can change if you have bows that aren't shooting down the center shot like you really want, you can, you know, 
come up with a grip grip system where you're shimming the grip left or right, and you will change very quickly uh, how that bow tunes for left and right holes. There's also times where certain grips just feel really good. Um, I had years where I would say the majority of the time I did not like this the factory wood grip. Um, I know that there's some aftermarket grips. I've shot aftermarket grips for a long, long time. Um, but there's a plastic Hoyt grip that I really like. It's got a flat back on it. Um, there were certain bows where I really enjoyed that grip. That's what I've got for Sharon and Harry. Um, also, you know, people with bigger hands, that bigger grip and having a, a flatter back is a little bit more repetitive. Um, you know, I've got a, I've got a buddy that I, that I work with that just has massive hands and even though the side plates are cool with his hand size, it almost gets to be too small. You know, you almost feel like you're just holding this little baby handle. I have fairly small hands for my size. So I really prefer, um, there were many years where I didn't even shoot side plates. I prefer a narrow handle. Um, but on some of these carbon bows where the, the carbon riser isn't able to be machined, I guess, as um, eloquently as the aluminum, then the side plates are really nice. Now, the side plates that I use um, are Rattler grips. You can find them pretty easy. Um, one of my buddies, Rob, makes them. They're really, really cool. Um, he did a knock-on version, too. Um, he'll, he's got permission to make you some knock-on grips if you want. Uh, but they work really well, and if you've got a, a medium uh, to a small hand, I think you're going to like having a side plate option. Um, if you've got a monstrous hand, then you may you may not. So, um, okay, next question here after another drink. I'm so dehydrated right now. For any of you, gorge yourself on Christmas feasts. Um, we had a major major size spiral ham that I cooked on my Traeger yesterday. That thing was so freaking good, but I think I overate it. Now I'm, I'm like bombed out on more sodium than I'm used to. So my, you know, I'm like, my mouth is so dry right now. Um, but this is, this question is from train two, one, seven, three. Um, it's just saying, I want to say thank you for all this, all you share about archery. Oh, and some amazing food. Hi. How do you like that? I did that little food drop about my ham right before I knew you were actually going to talk about my food. I'm buying my first compound bow and putting the shotgun away. That a boy or girl. I guess I don't know. You're just trained. But you've influenced me a ton. Would you have any recommendation for a Hoyt planning on a $1,000 total budget? So... I get that question a lot. Um, what bow should I use, et cetera, et cetera? Um, you know, what I what I want to say is when you when you pick a bow, make sure that you're not picking a bow to where the price is so close to your max your max um, you know amount that you're going to invest to where you have to short yourself on accessories because it really is a whole package 
and having um, having proper accessories is just as important as having a really really good quality bow so what I like to say is make sure you're always really putting time in to knowing what is a good um, a good quality rest a good quality sight um, you know there's a lot of different ones out there even the release if you buy a release that has a crappy velcro strap that you can't get consistent on or it's got a, a like a barrel length that you can't adjust forward and back to where you can tuck it in the right spot on your finger or you know if you have an arrow rest it's just plastic you know i've had people that have come into a shop that i'm in they really really want a certain model bow and they buy it and then they end up you know, putting a plastic rest on there or they end up getting a plastic carbon fiber site and they'll just say, I'll do that one next. Man, you really need to have the right stuff off the get-go. It makes a world of difference. Um, With that said, you know, I think this is a great time of year right now to find some awesome prices. The new bows are out, so... You know, you'd be able to find a great deal on an existing, um, especially if you know if you've got a budget of a thousand. Right now, you should be able to go into a lot of these stores that still have a few of the 2015s left over. And for Hoyt specifically, this year, you know, they're they're still making the the regular Defiant. So that regular Defiant, you should be able to pick up for a better price. Um, and it's a great bow. I mean, it's a, it's a great bow. Um, there's not a, there's not a ton of major differences between it and the pro defiant. Um, but price wise, it's not carbon. So it's going to be quite a bit less. And again, try to, you know, make a few calls, try to find the the store that still has some 2015s in stock and you're going to save yourself some money and you know, you're not going to be, um, it's not like you're going back backwards on technology. Um, the other thing is, you know, several years ago I shot the Hoyt Charger, which was a great bow um, for the money. It was in a great price range. Now Hoyt makes um, kind of a newer version of the Charger. It's called the Power Max, um, but the Power Max, you know, is definitely um, right in a great price range. It's pretty much mirrored after one of my favorite Hoyts of of the past, um, the Alpha Max. I love the Alpha Max. It was an awesome bow. It was the first time Hoyt came out with almost like a parallel uh, looking limb. Um, And really, the only thing that you're that you're kind of losing on um, with this is with the Power Max really where they've taken um, or, you know, been able to lower the price is, you know, it's actually a, a plastic molded limb pocket. And I think it comes with a plastic grip instead of a wood grip. Um, and instead of machined aluminum pockets, um, they are like a molded pocket, molded grip. It does have a traditional uh, carbon cable rod with a with just a regular cable slide but you know the specs on it are are 
are good. It's 31 inch axle axle bow with just under a seven inch brace height, um, which are both good numbers. Still, you know, shooting in the 300 over 320 feet per second is pretty much where it's rated. So, you know, look for that. Otherwise, that charger was super awesome. Um, probably be able to find killer deals on those. But I've just always said, if you've got a budget. Don't be afraid to budget out your accessories first because quality accessories and getting and a, getting a good set of arrows is going to really change how your bow shoots. If you get the best bow out there, you know, you can go out and you know buy a brand new Pro Defiant or a Carbon Defiant, but if you're going to then go to Walmart and buy a set of arrows with a plus minus, you know, 4 uh, 4,000 straightness tolerance or something, then you're not going to be accurate no matter what. So really factor in getting a good rest. Um, the knock on elevate rest, we've, the left-handers did start shipping. I guess that's one thing I should have announced. Um, the left-handers did start shipping out to everyone. Um, the right-handers are, are flying out and, um, also I did load a I haven't even promoted the video yet, but um, I was waiting. Um, if you remember when I first did the the video on the Elevate Rest, I said that I was going to be doing a setup. And if you ordered one of these first ones, it kind of came in a temporary package. And there was a thing on there that said, just look up um, such and such in order to uh, see the setup video. I did load the video. I had to wait about a week and a half longer than what I wanted to, but it's the video is knock on elevate rest setup. Um, and it just, it's about a 25 minute video that shows you exactly what the knock on elevate rest comes with in the package, how you adjust everything, how you change everything, tweak everything out, etc super easy shows you the whole thing you'll be able to do it yourself and if you combine it with some of the live feeds i've had uh you should be totally ready to rock so uh that's my advice man appreciate it dude appreciate you tuning in uh next question here is from blb 8698 um pretty much saying i've been thinking about running a rear stabilizer um, and wondering if there's a certain way to set it up. Um, let me just say that he's planning on having a 10-inch one in the front and an 8-inch one in the back. Um, and then I guess then he said the next thing I want to ask about is, is arrows, would you recommend a heavier or a lighter arrow for 3D? And really talks about what his current setup is. So, um, when it comes to stabilizers, you know, especially if you're a target archer, you have to stay within your rules. Obviously, if you're in a hunter class or something, you're going to have restrictions on length of your stabilizer that you're allowed. Main thing is, um, go with the length that you like when it comes to the rear weight. Um, you know, rear weight, make sure that it's not um, interfering with anything, you know, I don't like it when you're having to navigate your body around your, your rear weight, um, it gets to be a pain. I think a lot of people change their form because of it. The other thing too is, um, sometimes where you put your rear weight ends up having problems with other parts of your setup. For example, one of my buddies, 
Um, he's a right-handed shooter, has a big stabilizer coming off the right side of his um, comes off the right side of his riser coming back, so ends up interfering with like limb-driven systems and um, not to mention you know, you've got more weight on one side of the bow than the other, so there's a hundred percent going to be torquing um, issues going on. So you kind of have to be careful there. Um, I've got a buddy that's got a same thing, 10 inch one on the front, eight inch off the back. Um, they're pretty much both running. Um, the front one goes straight off the front. The side one comes back almost, um, parallel down the left side of the riser. So they're really offset about, um, maybe three inches from one another. Um, he used the fuse stabilizers. It actually came as a kit. Um, I'm going to look this up because it was actually a, um, a really, a really good kit. Um, let's see here. It was, let me see. I'm looking it up. Got my computer rocking and rolling. So it was, it was a fuse torch. Um, but let me see here. It came, it actually came in a little kit though. I'm not seeing the kit here, but anyway, it came, there was, it came in a kit. There was a 10 inch uh, torch along with a small bracket and um, then it allowed the, the eight inch to go off the back. Um, but it did come as a little kit. Worked out really, really good. I uh, wish I could see. I'm not up to date on this website that I'm on, unfortunately. So I'm not able to tell you guys, but I just know that that's what it was. Worked out really, really good. Um, that's what I'd recommend. When it comes to arrows uh, for 3D speed, it's kind of your name of the game. You got to find an arrow that allows you to stay around that 280 mark, um, unless you're IBO shooter and you're wanting to shoot more speed. But really, your arrow is going to depend on your setup. You're shooting. Um, it says you got a 26 and a half inch draw. Um, just with that aspect alone, because your draw length is shorter, you're going to have to go with a lighter arrow. Um, and you're going to have to stay with something that's um, probably that's a little bit smaller and overall diameter as um, some of your longer draw length people like for example I could probably go out there and shoot a full bore or something like that and still be able to get speed even with a decent weight in the point of that arrow whereas you're just not going to have that option and you shouldn't at all be afraid to shoot like a 22 diameter arrow or something like that where you can still maintain a decent point weight in it um, one of my buddies Randy that I works that I work with here um, in the summer, uh, we've done several different coaching sessions and normally I'll work on most of his bows with him. And there's been a lot of times where he's, he really wants to shoot one particular size arrow because he's wanting that bigger diameter, but then I'll also say, okay, why don't we just try this arrow? It's a little bit smaller diameter, but let's just see how it shoots. And then he, that's what he ends up sticking with. He's like, okay, yeah, no question. This shoots... A tighter group even though the diameter is smaller so you kind of got to find that lot that fine line um, 
I'm not like a pre-programmed arrow chart person. So when people ask me specifically about what arrow they use, um, kind of got to draw the line somewhere. I'm not going to go and look up every person's arrow that they need to. You can um, go to the any of the arrow manufacturers have their arrow selection charts. It's pretty easy. You just need to know how much weight you're shooting, what the length of your arrow is, um, also uh, what kind of draw length length you have or point weight that you're shooting. All that stuff factors in. should be super easy for you to find out. But uh, that's my answers on that. Uh, next question here is from Chris Kiefer. And he's saying, um, hey, Dad, I have an 11-year-old son. He's shooting a 30-pound bow, wondering would he need to use a mini evolution? Um, and is it because of his hand size or more for the holding weight? Um, thanks for your time. So the mini evolution, it's not like the mini evolution has weaker springs because it's smaller. Uh, the mini evolution just has a smaller uh, index hole and smaller finger slots for the second and third finger. Um, this is actually, a, I'm really debating right now um, doing a mini silverback, um, a little, little, little chimp or something, uh, because I feel like, you know, Sharon and Little Dud, they both shoot mini evolutions because their hands are so small. Um, the silverback does feel just a little bit big for Sharon. However, Harry's to the point now where he's actually shooting a silverback. Liked it just fine. Um, you know, you can put a little bit of tape on the inside of that index. Um, you know, if you wrap it around the inside of where your, your finger slides in that index hole, it'll take up some of that space. But if they are just a small kid, like what you're saying, 11-year-old, um, then a mini is certainly going to be better. I'm going to entertain, um, I'm going to try to see how many of those I'd have to make in order to make that happen. Um, could be a good, good version of the silverback for sure. Um, but really, you know, it's not about the holding weight. It's just about how it fits in their hand. Um, you know, you don't want them to have a lot of movement or slop. It would, um, they need to be able to, when they grab that release, have it go to the same place every time and, you know, not feel like they're having to hold something that's uncomfortable. So if they are comfortable or if he is comfortable with, with the size of a regular one when he grabs it, and I think what you'll find is because you don't have a third and fourth finger on the release where it's spreading his hand apart, on the silverback, I think you'll find that it'll actually still um, feel good even though it might be a little bit too big for his hand, just the fact that he doesn't have as many fingers on it and it's not spreading his fingers apart, uh, he may still really, really enjoy it. So got a few more questions here. I got to get this wrapped up pretty soon. Um, let's see, Jason Russ it was asking the question, um, seen some videos of you shooting a bow sight called the IQ with the retina lock. Um, did you like the site? Um, and do you recommend it? Um, so he, he, he probably saw when I was either shooting with my mouth, with my mouth tab, I shot, um, an IQ and I've also shot them for several of my whitetail hunts over the years. Um, actually I think the year that I shot the Hoyt charger, um, just because I did want to kind of prove that, 
you don't have to be shooting the number one bow in a bow line to have a good year. I shot the Charger one year and loved it. And I had a, um, I did put a IQ sight on there too because IQ was priced at a really good price point. Um, I like the sight a lot. You know, a lot of people that aren't um, needing to shoot long distances and wanting the ability of a movable sight, um, you know, a, just a regular um, three or five pin. Uh, multi-pin sight is just really really simple and nice learning to have you know use a 20 30 40 50 or 60 yard pin um, you know a lot can be said about learning one of those really well the retina lock is unbelievable that retina lock is a dynamite device for showing people hand torque and and um, inconsistent inconsistency in your grip position and grip pressure so that retina lock if nothing else just learning to draw back and getting that set up properly to where you're actually making the same type of front hand position on your bow every time um, it definitely pinpoints those mistakes i wish um i wish every site on the market had those built into them it's a great technology super crafty um, I really want to see that built into um, my target scopes even. I'd love to have that shooting long distance with outdoor target. Um, yeah, and they're priced well. There's a couple different models um, as well. Um, Jason, there's different, uh, different amounts of pins. Some have micro adjusts, some don't. I would recommend, just like I said before, you know, you want micro adjustability. Um, you don't want to, you know, you don't want any plastic parts. You don't want stuff like that. Stick with, stick with the machined aluminum and you'll pay a little bit more money for it, but you'll definitely be happier with it in the end. Um, and dang, I think that's, I think that's it. Yeah, that's nailed it. Uh, actually, no, I lied. So there was one other one, um, Luke. Dietering, Dettering, sorry Luke, I don't know your, I don't know how to say your name. He pretty much uh, sent a picture to me that he has himself at full draw and then he's got me at full draw right beneath. He's kind of, he's on top of me too. He's pretty much saying he's got dominant form. No, he's not saying that, but um, he just says, I notice your head turns towards the string quite a bit more when at full draw um, than I have. Am I being analytical or is there a lesson here? So um, I don't, I do have my face. Um, I don't turn it all the way like straight to where my chin is right over the top of my front shoulder. I'm slightly more open to the target. Um, if you close, if you close your stance off, you bring your front shoulder um, more into your whole line of line of the string. You'll have to turn your head towards the target a lot more. Some of the reason why my stance is just slightly more open or slightly more of a neutral stance is because I don't really like to turn my head straight all the way down the side of my body. What I find is when I do that. The longer I hold, my head naturally wants to turn back to center. So 
and the more the longer you hold if you're in, in a tournament situation the longer i hold my head naturally wants to come back to center and when it does that i continually add pressure on the bowstring so i actually kind of keep my head in a position to where it's not fully turned a hundred percent to the target but it's also still not facing straight it's kind of right in between i feel like i have a lot less neck pressure and um my ability to maintain that 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 posture and that position um for a longer amount of time sim- seems to increase the other thing too uh luke is if you look at those two pictures even though your fit of your bow is very similar to mine, um, if we were to zoom in, when when your head is turned straight towards the target, people are more likely to have a little bit longer loop, and they also get in the habit of putting their knuckles more towards the back edge of their jaw. And when they do that, it brings that arrow over tighter against the facial tissue on the face. So you'll, um, if you look at it, you'll notice that in order for you to be comfortable in that position that you're in, your hand is much more vertical. Um, so your pinky is turned almost completely straight up and down. So you've got um, a considerable um, amount of torque on your um, loop compared to what I have. So and the other thing you'll notice too, these two positions aren't exactly the same. Um, the camera is a little bit further forward on me, whereas the camera is directly in line with the center line of your body. Whereas my picture of the camera is actually more towards my front foot shooting back. But, um, you'll also notice that, uh, your fletching is, I'm not saying that it is, but it has more potential to have contact with your chin in that position that you're in as well. So um, that's why I do it. It doesn't um, it doesn't seem to change. I don't seem to have neck fatigue or anything like that. So okay, everybody. Um, so 28th tomorrow, seven o'clock live feed. Please share. Um, that makes a huge difference everybody i'm doing this because you know i'm trying to spread the word i'm also really trying my best to convince the people that have supported me that um that they need to support me off of tv network so this is critical that you out there um liking the post and sharing the post and letting people know when the live feeds are that stuff if you want to know how to help um that's all you got to do click like click share makes a huge huge difference and then lastly before i forget i've got some thanks um Kilbor sent me three more freaking sweet bottles of wine um most of which were pleasantly drank last night um we had some friends over and it was really good it even though red wine doesn't typically go with with a big old um spiral ham it did last night and it was delicious so thank you for that um thanks to justin got us some gifts for the family for christmas and shades as well shades is right here behind me 
she's looking at me knowing that um, she needs to get fed here pretty soon. So thanks, everybody. Appreciate it. Got some really, really cool things coming up. Um, I've got some help. I think I've found my... I think I found my my newest members of the knock on workforce. This is going to be exciting. We're going to be able to really, uh, really build this connection that I want between myself and what we're doing and all of you out there getting better and finally be able to have the help I need to get a lot of these. Yeah. See, Sage is, Sage is actually playing with her new, um, frog toy that Justin sent for her. So, I guess I better log off. Appreciate it, everybody. Um, make sure you spread the word and knock to it. Knock on, whatever. Knock it. Be sure to visit knockonarchery.com to see our entire line of trendy knock-on lifestyle clothing. Knockonarchery.com.